Hello and welcome to the Jackcast, your Swansea City podcast. I'm Matt Barocco and I'm joined as ever by Stephen Carroll. Evening, Steve. Evening. Well, it's been a couple of weeks since we last recorded. We've just got the four games to talk about and the transfer deadline day. Um, so there's a little bit to get our teeth into, Steve. We could go all the way back to um, the last time we spoke, which was just before the Southampton game at the Swansea.com. Um, I think we went into this one realistic, thinking Southampton were the form team in the division. Um, they seem to have not lost a game in about... Uh, 60 or 70 games that was actually a ridiculous number but uh, the actual figure escapes me but it was a game we went into knowing we knew what to expect Russell Martin coming back down um, he's got the team clicking the introduction of Colin Calderwood has been massive for them to shore them up defensively and uh, ultimately it was a game where um, first half in particular uh, as Good as they were, we were bad, and it really didn't uh, make for a pretty spectacle from the home fans. Yeah, it felt like a bit of a training session, really, didn't it, in the first half? I mean, Southampton had so many chances. I think we owed a lot to Carl Rushworth, that it was still you know, a respectable um, scoreline, really, at half-time, didn't we? But, um, yeah, Southampton completely dominated. Um, you could tell, obviously, that they were a very good side, but it was, it was just a bit disappointing, wasn't it, from our point of view, that we... We seem to stand off them and let them play. And I mean, if you do that against a good side, then it's, it's fairly obvious um, what's going to happen, really. I mean, we, we managed to get um, a goal back, didn't we? After going two down early on. Um, and then you're thinking, well, at half time, to only be one goal behind is an incredible result, really, given how the game has gone. But um, yeah, the good old um, return and player curse after strike, didn't it? And um, Flynn Downs got a cracking goal, and uh, that made the game. Uh, safe then really didn't it but I mean I was actually expecting the second half for it to potentially get worse but I was quite pleasantly surprised I felt that we were better in the second half and it's quite surprising really that we didn't manage to pull one back wasn't it particularly the last like 15 minutes or so we had a lot of chances didn't we so quite a strange one really in terms of I remember coming out to there not feeling you know quite as downhearted as maybe you'd expect given the way the game had gone because you know I felt we'd ended the stronger team as much as we'd been bad, it did feel like we improved. So, you know, nobody was expecting a result anyway. So, yeah, I think it, certainly the second half did leave me feeling a bit more encouraged, really. So, um, a strange game in that sense, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Um, and certainly something that I'd noticed, uh, when I first noticed after the Southampton game, which was um, we do seem to come out with a bit between our teeth after half-time under Luke Williams. So those half-time team talks are having a positive effect, but a lot of the damage has already been done. As you mentioned there, uh, 3-1 down to Southampton. Um, second half, had we managed, somehow we contrived not to manage, uh, to manage not to score in that second half. Um, had we done so, there was a, a good 15, 20-minute period, Steve, as you say, where we were dominant and we were banging on that door, not just knocking. And he thought, if one of these goes in, the stadium is is, is rocking and Southampton are shaking. Um, and you, you, you just wonder how that game would have gone. But as we found of late, it's finding that killer touch at the right time in front of goal, which is um, which is eluded us. Um, but it, it was, as I was saying, I mean, uh, Luke Williams' first game, Morecambe, uh, just after half time, it seemed that we stepped it up a gear and took that away from them. Uh, Birmingham with a better team first half second half we stepped it up a gear 
and I should have won that game. Obviously, came away with a two-all draw, and we talked about Southampton, but also um, we talked about Leicester in a little bit as well. The same sort of thing applied, where you just see in this little bit of a spurt at Swansea City after half time. But we've got to address that first half of performance. Um, uh, we're going to have to quickly touch on the cup game in between as well, Steve, because uh, I, know, I know you really wanted to uh, do a pod directly after this game because you were so dejected and livid at the performance um, that you just thought we need to talk about it. I, I politely refused to talk about that game, but um, let's touch on it briefly now. 5-0 away at Bournemouth. Yeah, um, I think the first half does have to rank as quite possibly one of the worst I've ever seen in my life. I mean, it was shocking, wasn't it? I mean, the amount of just silly mistakes. It, it, it felt like people were, were not giving their all and, you know, just not working as hard as, as they should have been. And, you know, just general switching off, not paying enough attention. Um, yeah, what, what what can you say, really? I don't think anybody associated that played in that game can hold their head high at all, really. I mean, it was a total embarrassment. And, um, you know, I think the manager has to take some of the blame as well because he did pick a strange team. I mean, playing Cullen on the left wing whack, very odd. Um, but also the fact that, I mean, in general, we're in mid-table. I mean, surely, like, a nice little cup run wouldn't do any harm. So why not play the full team and just, just go for it? Um you know, instead he did that and we were humiliated. And if we're being honest, it could have been significantly worse. I didn't think we were hugely better in the second half, but um, I felt like the opposition really backed off. So, yeah, um, you know, you can, you can blame everyone. Wood and Humphreys in particular, shocking. Um, five you know, shots Ashton, on target, five goals. Yes, I, don't worry, I was going to come to that. Um, <laughs> Fisher did not cost us the game because I think by the time he'd made a mistake for the third... He, he passed it out I mean the game was already gone but it's just the fact that with Fisher as I've said so many times as you said five shots on target five goals he, when you're in a situation where someone's going to take a shot you just think goal every time that's the problem it, unless it hits him you don't even think he'll save it it's got to be if it goes down the middle and hits him it might not go in but any reasonable shot is going in every time and it's just I don't know why he got picked for that game he, I don't know why he ever gets picked because uh, you can't learn anything new he will consistently let goals in. So, yeah, straightforward. But, look, uh, a night I think everyone would rather forget. And I, I do have a lot of sympathy, really, for the for those that travelled because, you know, it was probably time off work for some of them, uh, probably most of them, and they were not rewarded in the slightest. They did witness one of the worst halves I've, I've ever seen in my life, really. I, th- I think if I was there, I would have been tempted to leave at half time, and that's not the type of thing I'd ever do, usually. But I think it was that bad. So, um yeah. Well, there was no there was no halftime spurt on this one, but I know what you say at halftime when you're going in five 0 down and you've put in a performance like we did. Um, I think you just think then about getting out of there without any silly suspensions or injuries. Um, and as you say, Bournemouth could have pushed for seven, eight, nine, and God knows they'd have got done with Fisher and goals. So um, and the defence playing up the way they were. So we can just be grateful that they didn't set a new British record. Um, for that so we we, we can uh, write it off as an absolutely dreadful way to exit the cup I know we don't have a great well we have a terrible record of Bournemouth anyway so even playing our full strength team would have been uh, would have been a big ask the way they they are a bogey team one of our bogey teams so um, 
but the way they folded was embarrassing. Um, so I had to pick them up then um, a few days later. The, the weird scheduling um, where we were supposed to have the FA Cup game on the Saturday. Well, originally we were supposed to have Leicester on the Saturday. Uh, I suppose you want to talk about this, Steve. I'm not sure if we touched it on the last podcast, but ruining two decent fixtures that fans could have gone to to get that Bournemouth game on SOC on a Thursday night is a disgrace. Yeah, I mean, we touched upon it previously, didn't we? And, um, you know, you, you really shouldn't be able to, you know, move. Uh, we, we all accept games getting moved, but moving them from a Saturday to a Thursday isn't acceptable, in, in my opinion. I think that's nonsense. So, um, yeah. And the worst both Bournemouth and Leicester would have been much better attended as well. Yeah. So it would have been much better spectacles for all involved had one of them been on a Saturday. Yeah, I think the only issue was, obviously, with the... Um, the Leicester game, even if we could have played it on Saturday, we couldn't have really because Leicester was still in the cup. So, you know, there, there was always that, but that Bournemouth game should have been played on the Saturday or, you know, the, the Sunday or even the Friday night. You can sort of live with those things, but there was no need to put that on a Thursday. I, I always think Mondays and Thursdays are your days where, you know, if it's moved to that, then you really are putting people out. Yeah. And um, you shouldn't really be allowed to do it in my view, but look. It is what it is. There's not a lot we can do about it. But um, yeah, I'm not. Uh, I wasn't best pleased about it. But um, I'm sure S4C probably did have crap viewing figures, to be honest. Certainly in the second half, because I could imagine quite a few people might have turned it off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and the ones who would watch it wouldn't have got S4C as a channel selection. So um, yes, um, so roll forward to next Tuesday when they travelled uh, to the King Power to see us play Leicester. Again, another really difficult game. It's probably the most difficult game Leicester away in the league this season, Steve. Um, and we started with an absolute calamity uh, of playing a defensive line 10 yards inside our half. Um, and Dewsby Hall cuts through and has the whole of Leicester to run through and slot it in after three minutes. It's just an awful start. Yeah, it is. I mean, we had a chance just before that, didn't we? And you're thinking, oh, okay, you know, we, we could have been in front, but... Um, I don't count it as a chance for the man who, who it fell to. It doesn't right, count. Okay, well, you know you know what I mean anyway, don't you? But, yeah, um, no, I get what you mean. Yeah, um, but yeah, I think it was dues we all went there. I think when he was sort of through from the halfway line, you're just thinking straight away, oh my God, here we go again. And um, yeah, that uh, that's what happened, didn't it? But um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> the worst thing you can ever do, obviously, is concede that early, especially against a good side. But we didn't play that badly in general. I didn't think. I mean, Leicester did have more chances. There was there was one sitter in particular, wasn't there, that, that should have been taken in the first half that wasn't, luckily for us. Um, but you know, we we sort of grew into the game, really, didn't we? And I felt that. You know, in the second half, we were well in it until that penalty was given. So, yeah, it wasn't, you know, it, it could have been worse. I mean, I, 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 I'm really fearing the worst when it's happened that early, especially given the few days earlier what's happened at Bournemouth. You, you are thinking, that, you know, this could be a repeat year. You certainly wouldn't rule it out. But I actually felt we, we did all right in that game. Um, and we're well in it until that penalty, which is a bit of a strange well, one, I think. Let's talk about that because... Um, Again, coming back to the half-time theory here, um, that the first 20 minutes of that second half, we were well in it and we were pushing Leicester. And the fans were getting a bit uneasy. Um, we, were, we were creating chances. We were getting shots away. We were um, 
pressing and what I can only describe as a complete absence of brain. Um, Bashir Humphreys just stands on the halfway line with a ball, ball bouncing towards him and doesn't approach it and gets it nipped away. And 10 seconds later, Wood dives in. Um, very, very harsh from Keith Stroud, but uh, the guy's an absolute bell end, so I expect nothing less. He's the worst ref in the EFL for me, and he's been uh, held that mantle for some time. Um, and that he could decide that that was a definite foul from his angle is shocking, and even the replays suggest that he got it wrong. And your favourite man, Mike Dean, saying there's never a pen. So uh, it just takes the game away from you. And uh, one moment of madness from our from our defender, and another terrible decision from the ref, and you, you, you've lost this game over. Yeah, exactly. In those situations, you can't, um, you know, if it's bad, it's a tough enough challenge anyway, isn't it? Without having decisions like that go against you. I mean, it's it's a funny one, really, isn't it? Because I don't think he he doesn't really take the ball, but he doesn't take the man either. So it's it's a strange one in general, isn't it? That, but yeah, I didn't think it was pen uh, is how I saw it but yeah I mean as you've mentioned Humphreys has given it away he's, he's been poor recently hasn't he we've got to admit that I mean at Birmingham we highlighted a few mistakes that he'd made and then obviously he was poor at Bournemouth and this game as well then so not his, uh, going through a great period at the moment is Humphreys and um, yeah obviously the penalty gets given it's scored and then pretty quickly after that Leicester have scored again and at that point, then you're, you're just wishing for full time, really, aren't you? Because you just don't know how, um, you know, how many they could end up getting. So, um, yeah, I think the, the scoreline is probably harsh, isn't it? I think that that's something I would say. But it's yeah. another game we've lost where you know we've conceded a few goals. Um, not great, but I suppose the way to look at it was that we played the top two twice. It's out of the way, so obviously that has to be. Um, a good thing and then obviously we're all looking ahead to uh, the next game which is Plymouth at home and everyone's thinking well this is hopefully now this is the one that we're uh, we're going to win and um, yeah it's the Swans being the Swans with uh, us playing a team that have not won away all season um, should all really have known shouldn't we what uh, likely to happen well they haven't got any former players playing for them have they oh yes yes the, the sole goal scorer in the game of course He's going to score. It was absolutely nailed on. Congratulations to all the Swans fans. And I'm sure there's thousands upon thousands of you that made a couple of quid on Saturday off betting uh, Whitaker to score against us. Um, Doff a hat if you had him done for first goal scorer as well, because that was a popular one. Um, soon betting companies are simply not going to offer odds on former Swans players scoring against them. It is unbelievable. Um, and what turned out to be a, a decent corner routine blocked off at the back post I think was uh, Ollie Cooper and he's um, and Whittaker's run across the ball for a, a fizz shot he's taken it well to be fair to him uh, 12 yards out he's, he's had to catch that clean because it was fizzed across um, but how have we contrived to lose that game I will never know Um in terms of uh, effort, I can't fault. In terms of chance creation, I can't fault. In terms of just general, the domination we showed was 
there was only one team um, in that game for all but one moment. And um, and yeah, we've, we've managed to lose it, Steve. And we've only got ourselves to blame. And once again, we find ourselves not being able to stick the ball in the back of the net when it matters. Yeah, I think, as you say, we've, we've played well in the game. Um, we were the better side, without a doubt. Um, like loads of chances, as you said as well. And the thing that's let us down is is the finishing. But I mean, I'm not going to get too annoyed about it. It's, it is a bad result. This is certainly not what we needed. I think there was added pressure really on Saturday's game. I think because of um, obviously the the recent fixtures we've had and, and the ones to come obviously look quite challenging as well. So this was obviously you know on paper the our best chance to pick up three points for for a little while. So for us to then not do it is um, obviously does does make the situation probably worse than it really is. But um you know, I think we've we've complained a lot this season and we about the performances and our general lack of direction. But I thought that was one of the best games that we've played all season, to be honest with you. I mean there's plenty of chances. We had a lot of the ball. Um just finishings let us down. And obviously that that is a problem, but I mean, in general, if we can carry on playing like that, we will win more games than we lose, I would have thought. So I'm not going to get too annoyed about it because I saw a lot of things that, that suggested to me that, you know, Luke Williams is making a difference. We are improving. But, um, you know, sometimes you're just in a situation, aren't you, where the fixtures don't really help you. And um, that's sort of what's happened. And, you know, you will have games through a season where you, you are the better side. You just, for whatever reason, you can't hit a barn door. I think it is a bit concerning that you do look at us a little bit and think, where are the goals coming from? I'm sure we'll um, we'll come on to our transfer business, um, you know, before we um, end the podcast. But um, you know, I think we've got to try and you know not lose our heads here. That, that's the the way that I'm looking at. It. I know there's a lot of people panicking. And am I allowed to lose it in a particular way, just for two seconds, and then we can get back to sanity? Why is Jerry Yates still being picked? Like the guy, the game before, by the way, we didn't touch on Allen's uh, consolation. Jerry Yates gets an assist for blocking a goal-bound effort. Like that's, I want the dubious goals panel to go back and have a look at that. They shouldn't give him an assist for that. He's actually defending. It's unbelievable. The guy's missing chance after chance, week after week. You cannot at this level afford to spurn golden chances every week and I think he could have got five or six under Luke Williams' reign already um, and he's just missing them and and we talked you mentioned about uh, Williams' strange selection against Bournemouth where he played Cullen as a wing back and Cullen's been played all over the pitch apart from in the position he wants to play and he gets a, a, a cameo uh, um, to play up there uh, against the last or however long against Plymouth and he hits the postage stamp from 20, 25 yards um, right at the top corner. It's the, it's the stanchion of corner and crossbar and, and post. So um, showing that, that I haven't seen, I haven't seen yet hit a shot like that since he's joined in the summer. And it, the man's confidence is clearly on the floor, Steve, almost to the point now. Remember this conversation we had last year about Andy Fisher and I said, I'm sure at this point he doesn't even want to be selected. I'm thinking the same with Jerry Yates. Look at his body language. He's very languid, and that's part of him anyway. But he doesn't appear to me now to be have the hunger and the desire. It feels like he's in a really bad place, and he needs to be taken out of that spotlight. 
what are we not seeing that other well, three managers now have seen to say Cullen can't do it up there and the Ukrainian can't do it up there because surely at this point you've got to give one of them a chance um, I, I certainly would play Cullen I think from my point of view because I just think he's more likely to score I mean you look at that chance in the first half um, you know the one where the balls come across the box and Yates has got on the end of it but the keeper saved it I mean he pushed just, that away yeah, you'd fancy Cullen to score that, wouldn't you? I mean, I don't think Yates did a huge amount wrong there. I'll give him his due. But at the end of the day, he hasn't scored as he, which is what we need him to do. So, yeah, I think the... I don't think his confidence is as low as Fisher's. I think Fisher was gone, to be <laughs> honest. I think, and unsurprisingly, given that it was every game. But, you know, it's, and it's obviously, it's worse for goalkeeper, isn't it? But, um, look, yeah, I, I am surprised that Yates is getting picked at the moment. Um, but... I think should be brought a striker in is a is a fair discussion as well. I mean, yeah, because we have struggled to score all season, haven't we? So, but we've got we've got four strikers, four or five strikers at the club. There needed to be a movement some way in which we couldn't just keep bringing strikers in until we find a good one. We need to start looking at the ones that aren't good enough and finding clubs for them to go to. Um, and we've clearly failed in that mission. Well, I the, think we tried to move Kukarevich out didn't we but that didn't pay off so um, yeah so, you know what What realistically what can you do in there it's we've made what, some bad signings and we can't shift people so you help me out here what why is he not getting any minutes they clearly don't rate him and again you'd have to look at it and say put that him on the bench felt that way haven't they I know but why are they putting him on the bench just name an academy boy Name someone who they. Yeah, it does take. seem um, it does seem a bit pointless in that sense. If you're never going to bring him on, then. But you know, if you would say, right, okay, what what situation would Kukurevich come on in? I would say perhaps in a game where we were trailing, needing a goal late on, and we were dominant with the ball and getting lots of cross in the box. Oh yeah, exactly like what was happening on Saturday. Like that was tailor made. We were putting balls but, in the box. Yeah, I mean, we, we Cullen in the end. Well, the thing is, we didn't really look like scoring, did we? I, no. You know, there were chances, but I never really believed we'd score. So, you know, like I said, I've, I've had an issue all season, to be honest. I think I've said it on you before. A lot of we didn't do it so much the other day, I don't think, but sometimes a lot of crosses in in the box in the air, and I'm just thinking, well, where's our height? Like it's not going to happen. I don't mind it from a corner, but in general, obviously, we're not. We don't really have a big centre forward. So when you're doing that, you, you know, the chances of you scoring don't seem that high, but. Yeah, I could have seen the logic in him, you know, coming on. I mean, he's he's on the bench. He's there to be used, isn't he? I mean, truth is, I think a lot of people don't have a massive opinion of him, but I do know that he's not rated particularly highly. And I think the fact that, you know, Duff Sheehan and now, um, you know, Williams, plus the fact they were willing to to allow him to go, I think, if, if they could have reached an agreement, just says it all really about um, what they think about it. I agree. It has to be. It has to be something there. In the background, he, 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 he's not training well enough. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but just can't see what else it can be because ultimately, um, and, and certain players must be playing out to their absolute skin Monday to Friday on the training pitch because they get picked week after week. And uh, and then on, a, on come a Saturday, they let everyone down again. So you just feel like there's sometimes, as a football fan, you're only ever going to get um, a tiny portion of that picture. Um, where you turn up on a Saturday to watch the Swans and you're thinking, 
what, why is the manager doing this? This does make no sense to me. But as you say, there's something in the background there where he is absolutely unrated. And just leave him off the, out of the squad altogether then. Don't waste anyone's time. Um, if you could take a plus point, and this is going to segue myself nicely into this, Steve, from Saturday's defeat, it was the introduction of our new sign-ins. And one thing we've got is pace, something we've lacked for just about ever, I think, since Dyer and um, Routledge. Um, Dan James, isn't it, is the last one? Yeah, no, that's true, actually, Dan James. Again, Dan James gave us that um, six months of pure pleasure, wasn't it? But, uh, yeah, the, um, the, the, the time that we've waited for pace seems to have lasted an eternity, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Um, it's certainly something that we've needed. And I think Ronald had a good debut, to be fair, particularly in the first half. I think he did fade in the second. But, I mean, certainly days, he's young, he's coming to a new country, can't speak the language at all. Um, so, you know, I, I don't think he was ever really going to put in a 90-minute performance. But I did like what I saw. I think there was, you know, he, he did get um, down the wing. He was giving us, um, you know, just that outlet, really, as well, wasn't it, uh, to, to stress um, the opposition a bit more. There's a couple of good balls into the box. I think that his was one, wasn't it, for, for that Yates chance I was on about. Um, so, yeah, I think there was there was positives there. And, um, you know, that has to be a good thing. I think, uh, you know, the, the other two, uh, Sago Jr. and I can't remember how to pronounce his name now, um, the Polish guy from Norwich. Um, you know, I'll I think... The I'll give you that. <laughs> yeah, Placetta, is it? Yeah, that's uh, bread, yeah. Yeah, um... <laughs> So, yeah, I think th- those two obviously didn't have as long, and I think they, they probably weren't as as effective, really, but I mean, it's early days, isn't it? But, you know, you certainly feel like now there are, you know, options there, and we can actually go back to playing with white men. So, you know, that, that has to be a good thing, really, doesn't it? So, yeah, I think, obviously, the, the jury is out in terms of how good they really are, isn't it? I mean, you know, I'd have to say with Placetta that... He's come from Norwich, who just let him go for nothing and like taken over the rest of his contract. I mean, which is until the end of the season. I mean, if, if I think if we really thought he was that good, he'd have had a longer deal than he. So I think that one feels like maybe we're throwing, you know, a bit of a gamble at it. I mean, Sago from Arsenal, harder to tell, I would say, because I don't think he's had a loan spell anywhere else. So first time loan at what his level's at. I guess we will soon find out. Um I think Ronald a bit more encouraging because he's played in Brazil, played in Portugal, a little bit older, obviously than than Sago. Um, so yeah, I'm. I think that one's a good one. I think, but we did need a striker. I think, didn't we? And um, you know, we've we've not done that. So that isn't great. And the squad now is huge, isn't it? I mean, I know a couple of people went, but at the same time, it does feel like the squad size is still quite similar to what it was. And yeah, you know, there's going to be a few people there just just not really getting involved. So, yeah, I think not bringing in a striker. I mean, it, it could be something that that haunts us, doesn't it? If we have more days like Saturday, but I'm I'm hoping that that doesn't happen. I just think we got at this current moment in time, we got the worst man up front to finish them. Um, I wasn't confident he was going to score that one from Ronald. And uh, excuse me. <coughs> and uh, yeah, like I said. Um, a striker with a bit between his teeth uh, puts out either side of the keeper, not straight down his throat. But um, on a positive note, 
Um, I thought Ronald was was man of the match. I thought he was outstanding. I, I really did. I was impressed. I was looking for it as well. Um, I wasn't able to go on Saturday for um, for personal reasons, but I was watching it um, and uh, completely legally, of course. And uh, and um, yeah, saw so the Ronald's movement and quite a lot of the time. Uh, he was making runs that we were just not picking up as well. So he was constantly offering himself, and he had, he had the uh, the left back on toss plenty of times. He was just going, 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 um, and quite a few times he was frustrated that um, the defenders were having the ball, taking a touch, taking an extra touch. Cabango was looking up and then not giving it. And you're thinking, with a pacey player, as soon as he makes his run, you've got to give it and you've got to trust him that he's going to win that race. Otherwise. A defender comes across the cover and and the moment's gone. Um, we got to be quicker on the uptake. But even in even so, there were still plenty of moments there to get excited about. And uh, one moment particular I liked about him as well was a was a crunching tackle he made um, after not receiving the ball and <laughs> Plymouth coming away with it. And he chased back and 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 flattened his guy over by the east stand. And I thought that's the other side to the game, which I guess. When you when you look at him, you might think, oh, maybe uh, the, the the South American culture and stuff like that. Maybe he won't have. Let's look at Jefferson Montero as a perfect comparison, Steve. He he had the the glitz and the glamour when the sun was on his back, but he wasn't up for a fight. And Ronald seemed to have a little bit more bite about him. I know it's very very early days, but I'm 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 optimistic with him. Yeah, I I think I feel the same way, really. Like I say, he gave us that that extra outlet, didn't he? And that you're right to highlight that challenge there, really, because it did show that he is willing to dig in for the team. So um, yeah, there's I think there's positive signs with with him. Um, so it does look like it could be a a decent signing for us. I think the, the one good thing I like about it is that I feel like a lot of our business recently has been more like journeymen type people. Obviously, there's been a few loans and stuff, but I don't really feel like we've we've brought people in with any sort of resale value. And I think that's a big problem. Whereas I look at Ronald, he's in a good age bracket mm. and he could be coming here sort of to put himself in the shop window, hoping to go you know, further up the, the pyramid potentially at some point. And um, yeah, I think that's, you know, that, that's the type of, of signing that I'm, I'm happy to, to take, you know, um, a punt on in terms of, Money, uh, but when we're spending money, it's got to be on players that are ready to play now. I don't like this thing of Kukurevis, who spent about two million on him, and you know he, he's not getting picked at all. I mean, Joe on the the left back who's, who's gone um, back to the Netherlands on loan. I mean, that, that was another one that cost a few hundred grand, wasn't it? And mm. you know we can't be buying people thinking, oh yeah, they might um, you know they might come off in a, a year or two. No, no, no. We're buying people. They've got to play now. I'm all for buying people that we think we can improve and sell on. That's the way to go. But if you think they're not ready for now, then you know what, what situation are we we going to be in further down the line, really? So um, that's what baffled yeah. me. I know we discussed this a few weeks ago, Steve. The Kukurevich one was: you can't buy someone with our finances for two million pound and say like he'll he'll he might come good in twelve months' time. What a massive risk that is. And where's the end goal? I mean, if you're buying someone and they might come good in twelve months time, you'd want that to be a couple of hundred grand most. And 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 then you want to kind of that's a, that's the measured risk. And if they come good and they become, you know, a three, four, five million pound player, then wow, what a return on your outlay and it was worth the risk and well done, because the, the fortune favours the brave. But there's no 
there's no calculated risk in spending two million pound on someone you already deem not to be good enough to play right now. Because what if he had a good season, he would likely still only be worth the money we put on him at this point. So there was our, it was such a massive fuck up on the price we paid for a player they already didn't deem good enough. Yeah, exactly. I I don't get that at all. I think there needs to be serious discussions behind the scenes about what's gone on transfer wise. Um, you know, in in these two windows, I would say because it is just ridiculous. I mean, we've, the the approach under Russell Martin was extreme the other way, but I actually think that a one out one in policy is the sensible way to go, really. But the problem is that last January it, it changed to basically Whitaker back from loan, which the manager didn't want, the player didn't want. And nobody benefited from, and then about four or five leaving, and you're just thinking, well, you, you've now put this manager down to, you know, the bare bones and stuff like that, and it's just not acceptable. Um, but if they'd, for example, when Oberfemi left and they brought a striker in, then, you know, that that would have been obviously a move that we needed. Um, we needed a wing back, for example. They didn't do it, but because we weren't asking for much, I think if they just done a couple of those things then you're in a like a reasonable position, aren't you? But they wouldn't do it. Whereas now, they've just put us in a situation where there's about five centre-halves, there's four strikers. Um, whereas last year, there was, at the end of it, there was about two strikers, wasn't there? And um, I, I really don't don't understand why we decided to change tack like, completely the other way. And then we've, like, we've wasted a fortune, basically. And at some point, it's going to hurt us with financial fair play as well, really. So, um, yeah, it's... You know, from well, from my point of view, Watson should go. I think, you know, he's, you know, he wasn't what he says on the tin. I think he's blagged his way in here, in my opinion. He was at um, Luton, but he wasn't in charge of transfers there. And a lot of these transfers, from my point of view, were down to him and his strategy and the fact that he said that I think after the first window shut that the Swansea way hadn't changed under Duff. And you're thinking, well, mate, if you you really don't understand it in that case, then do you? so. He's a bad fit for us. And of course, we haven't even discussed yet, have we? That little incident at Bournemouth where he was fraternising with someone that we would call the enemy and Nathan Jones. I mean, mm. you know, from my point of view, we should bugger off the child with him. Well, I was going to say this, that story might yet have a happy ending. We can pray that um, that Swans have a reshuffle after spunking eight, eight, nine million pound up the wall in the summer and having no return on. Um, might look to make some reshuffle and then he goes back to, you know, pal up with uh, Nathan Jones at Charlton and I think that would possibly be I, this is interesting because <coughs> excuse me um, there are a lot of lot of focus a lot of criticism has been on the Swansea City ownership since 2016 Steve it, it has and rightly so um, it's been a long drawn out battle um, there's been a lot of nastiness and um, ill feeling and again absolutely justified look at where we've fallen from and where we are now um circling the bottom three of the of the championship and uh, losing assets year on year um i think that the current setup i might get pelters this by the way is the correct setup it just has the wrong people so i think the idea of having a Paul Watson here, someone who's going to take the focus away from the Americans and Jason Levian and Kaplan and whatever, and it's going to be I'm going to negotiate, going to negotiate them on the ground. But not just that, the 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 
um, the chairman's going to be here with me. He's going to be living here. He's going to be, he's not going to be again. He's not going to be someone across the pond um, who we have to get across on deadline day. Things can't get done. But is it possible that we can keep this structure, but just change the people in those roles? Because um, we managed to get a lot of work done in, in the summer. It was just, as it turns out, shit work. Yeah, I mean... You know, when we had Trevor Bircher like calling the shots, I mean, I don't think there was anywhere near as much moaning then. Was it the communication was good? It wasn't always good news, but it was. You know, we were being kept informed of everything, and ultimately, you did trust him to make uh, the decisions that you felt that we we needed to make. Really, whereas I think the problem with Coleman now is he's, he's been doing some of these interviews, and like I'm glad he's fronted up, but at the same time, he's like. Again, he's talking about like next summer and how the plans are in place and all this type yeah, of thing. Yeah, I don't think but that's a good the idea. The problem is, I think, as he said himself, judge what I do, not what I say. Yeah. And you think now people are just a bit alienated because they don't really like what we've done. And they're almost saying as if, like, you know, the, oh, well, you know, well, we will judge you what you've done. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But also, he did say the other day, didn't he, that um, in an interview, it's like, I understand why the fans are annoyed. Like, I would be as well. And you're thinking, Christ alive, don't say that, for God's sake. So if you're thinking that, so why are you. Like almost like sticking up for what's been going on. It's just a strange response. It's, it's not you're not going to win about, any fans by doing that, are you? I think even more damning. That was in response to had he heard of the criticisms of Paul Watson, and then he said, "I'm aware, yeah. and I can understand fans being frustrated, and I would be too." What a damning indictment of Paul Watson yeah. there, because. He's basically said, I know people are slagging off Paul Watson and I get it. Yeah, exactly. It's um, just it's just baffling, isn't it? You think he'd be know? gone in the summer? Is that... Cause I think that so. Well, the other no problem here is that... Right? From the hierarchy. Yeah, but there is a still an issue here, isn't there, of Coleman says he makes the decisions, but we don't know that for certain, do we? The fact is there's loads of people involved there now. It's, it's hard to tell who really is making the decisions. That, that That's the truth of it, isn't it? There is that, but you have to have, no matter where the money men are, look at the old regime um, with Hugh Jenkins signing uh, signing off on deals and stuff like that. But we know he wasn't the money man. You know, that was the worst kept secret in Swansea. But you had, you know, someone in the background who just had a couple of quid and was able to allow Hugh Jenkins to be the figurehead to make those decisions at boardroom level with, you know, leading in and the other support and stuff. But he was the man who carried the can for it. And and obviously took a lot of the plaudits as well. Uh, and, you know, and rightly so at the time. But um, you, even though there are a lot of money men in the background now, Steve, you have to have someone there with the final say. And it has to be that kind of trusted role, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And the problem is that, if let's say that no, we go through everybody who's involved, would you trust any of them to have the final say? That's no. the other problem, isn't it? You know, they're just, you know, we're talking about Andy Coleman. I mean, it's, he's inexperienced in football, isn't he? So I think I have cut some slack to a point because I just think that the, the majority shareholders are the ones that have been there for so long. And you almost think, well, you know, when somebody new comes in, you, you've got to give them, you know, a reasonable amount of a chance. And then, you know, I'm not saying he's even a particularly bad guy or anything, but I think now some of the comments that have been made and stuff, it just makes you think that, you know, you can't really put your faith in him, unfortunately. It's it's just difficult, isn't it? I mean, you, you really want to give, you know, these people your support and to hope that they're doing 
the things that you want. I mean, Luke Williams did talk him up, didn't he, to be fair, and said that he keeps talking, you know, he made, yeah. made a big beeline for him. So, I mean, that seems to be, you know, you'd have to say that's a positive, but... But then know, Luke Williams talks up Paul Watson a hell of yeah. a lot as well. Yeah, that's that's not great. But I mean, I suppose the fact that with Williams, he's, he did say that, well, Williams did say about Coleman, didn't he, that he, you know, he came to his house, spent time there and all that type mm-hmm. of thing. And suppose if you do want a manager, that is... You know, you're not really making the manager come to you then. You're, you're going there and you're trying to, you know, persuade them to take it. I suppose you have to say he's pulling up the stops there. But look, it's it's a difficult one, isn't it? I think that the big problem at the moment is that Watson has blagged his way in you. And, um, you know, they're making decisions probably based on a lot of what he says. And um, he's just totally the wrong man for us. So, yeah, it's, you know, we... I think what you always want in these situations is like when we had Trevor Birch, you want someone to come in here yeah, that's got like an understanding of, of football, don't you? Someone that's experienced, yeah. that's worked in it. Because the fact is, right, you can bring in the best business people in the world to, you know, run clubs, people with a lot of money and stuff like that. We're seeing it at Chelsea at the moment, aren't we, where Todd Bowley has gone in there with all this money and thinking he's going to make things work. And I mean, considering the amount of money they've spent, it's gone un- incredibly badly, hasn't mm-hmm. it? They've mm-hmm. got worse. And that just shows you you can't really apply your your normal business like acumen to football. It's it is a different ball game. It it doesn't really work in the same way as a normal business does. And I, but I think a lot of businessmen that haven't worked in it before think that it does work the same way. And then they usually find out quite quickly that it doesn't. So that's that's a problem. And I think ideally you, you just want someone running the club with you that does have experience of of working in football. I mean. You'd have to say that Hugh Jenkins obviously was someone that was very good at it for. Well, he, you know, he learned on the job, but it's a lot easier in division. He, he did. I think the thing with Hugh, you'd have to say that initially there were mistakes made. I mean, yeah, you know, I know it was a committee early on, wasn't it? But then you know, obviously the the Nick Cusack situation where Brian Flynn should have had the job initially, they didn't do that. They gave it to Cusack. They backed him, made a lot of bad signings, and then Flynn had to correct it. Nearly sent us out to the league, of course. So that whole debacle, didn't it? But I do. I think they learned from it and then obviously it was a good time to take over really in the sense of like a stadium was on was going to come at some point and then yeah. you know you've got a bit of momentum then and obviously more finances than you've had and obviously the Martinez coming in sort of changed everything as well then didn't it so you know but they, as you said they, they did have to learn but I think the key thing there was as well that we're talking about people that had the club at heart so they were obviously going to make decisions then that they really thought were for the best where you know, these guys, it's probably more of just a job to them, isn't it? Or like a business opportunity. So yeah. I think that's what what the issue is. It's There is an elephant in the room. Look, I, I didn't want us to do crazy business in January. I feel like, and obviously I'm, I'm, I'm less confident in this, but certainly towards the start of middle of January, I was saying like, we're not going to go down. I felt like this. Um, and we're certainly not going to go up. So let's not throw good money at bad now. We've done that in the summer. Let's make sure that we're ready for the summer when players' are, contracts are expiring or they go into their final year and you can get them at a cut price deal. January's a notoriously difficult month to do business in. We just we already knew we needed wingers desperately. Um, and we found out that we definitely need a striker. But the the elephant in the room is, is FFP, Steve. We spent a lot of money... Um, we need to show that we're generating it, and we're going to struggle to. We you know we're going to be flying, you know, quite close to the flame here, and it might well dictate our transfer business. It might well have dictated our transfer business 
when it came to the January window? Yeah, um, I think from my point of view, I was just looking and thinking, we just need to bring in like essential players rather than bringing in, um, you know, anybody for for the sake of it, really, that's going to sit on the bench. I think that was my mentality, really, for um, for the window, because the squad's so big, as I, I previously said, and you just think you don't really want people just coming in and sitting on the bench again. So I think I probably wouldn't have done all the business that we did and maybe would have brought one of those players that came in, maybe wouldn't have come in. Um, and I would have certainly tried to buy a striker. Um, but the, the fact is, we do know that January is a difficult time to, to buy people. I know that's the excuse that we'll get you know, trotted out. But to be fair, I, I don't think they're wrong on that. But yeah, um, FFP is going to hurt us. And I, I do think that I know the weekend went badly. We lost QPR of one and so we've had this field. So we are closer to the bottom now. But I do think really I would have tried to not do too much business on that basis of thinking we should be okay to stay up. So, yeah, you wouldn't want to go doing business that could, you know, harm you further down the road, really. So, but yeah, it's, like, it's a tricky one, isn't it? Sometimes I think the, the problem is we're, we're going to be paying the price, I think, for what happened, um, you know, last summer for, for a little while now. Um, you know, like I say, FFP is going to hurt us. And, you know, but also we've got to be realistic with finances. I mean, we've been making losses on, on occasions, even when we've... Um, managed to cash in on some of our assets but you know where's the assets now that's what I'm asking myself most people won't want our players that's the simple truth of it and that's the real damaging thing that um, that has happened so we're almost hoping that a couple of youngsters come through and that will you know lessen the burden or next summer it's going to be vital that we can bring a couple of players in that you know in a year or so then after that maybe we, we will be able to to sell on so um, well we've we got yeah. this what we got this new scouting network they keep talking about don't they Ultimately, you need the right man at the helm of that to, you know, whittle down to a short list and 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 you know identify which players we're going to try and um, sign for the club. But you know, Ronald is an example, perhaps, of that, Steve, where you have to look outside the box and look at someone that perhaps others aren't looking in in corners that others aren't looking in because so many markets are inflated, and you're looking for a bargain now. Where ten years ago you might have got one. Nowadays, it's 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 finding a little bit more difficult to come by. I think Ronald was was seven figures himself, wasn't he? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think the one good thing is now that after Brexit, they did it was a lot harder to get work permits for people. But now I think you can have you know up to four foreign players that don't need a work permit, so that's like an advantage. Um, although obviously Jawaon and Kukarevich have been taken up with two of them, so maybe I wish it hadn't come in at this stage. But um, <laughs> you, you, you know. Um, Look, scouting's a, you know, I, th- I think it's it's probably again if you are a scout, you, you probably either got it or you haven't. I mean, it's it's subjective, isn't it? But I mean, you'd always look at, you know, someone like Brian Flynn as a, a really good example, and the people that he's brought in here down the years when he was manager, and how he's working as a scout. Now, I would someone like that, you just look at their track record and suggest that this guy is a very good judge of a player. And I'm not saying you should hire yeah, him. Um, Kevin Reeves's black book has held it. Yes. Kevin is another great one, you know? So like you've got to sometimes just find the right people and trust their judgment. It's as mm. simple as that. I mean, you know, um, I know Andy Scott, when he left, he pointed to Perot and Manning. So I'm assuming those two must've been two of his, but I mean, that doesn't mean that there weren't a few misses. Shall we say there probably were, but um, you know, you, you've, you've got to trust uh, the judgment of your scouts. That's that's the fact of it. And, you know, you've got to make sure you've got people in there that, 
that know what they're doing and can spot a player and are realistic about if you know they're they're players that we can sign. So this is why I don't like going for um, data based approach because you're going on a player that what is is doing certain things, whatever, which is obviously going to hike up his price anyway because he's already doing it. Whereas if you look at someone where we were in our absolute um, prime, Steve, uh, we were famous for taking rough diamonds and, and polishing them. Yeah. You know, we were taking people who were journeymen elsewhere, couldn't get a game. Wayne Routledge being the prime example at about 20 clubs, couldn't get a game, couldn't get find a home. And you bring him here and he, he's, he's, he's found a home for 10 years. You know, and you, other players uh, like Nathan Dyer, you know, players where we brought players in, weren't necessarily doing it elsewhere. You don't look at the data and go, well, in fact, this player's making X amount of runs per game. This player's making X amount of successful passes. No, we want to find a player that's got the ability to achieve that in our system. And as you talk about, we want to polish those diamonds here. And that's how you generate revenue for the club because the Perot would be a perfect example, hadn't scored and, and lit up much before. Famously, um, John Van Sweden said he would be worse than Aiden Lewis because he hadn't done it before, because he just didn't rate him. And he's come here and blown everyone away. And that's the sort of thing. Obviously, everyone wants to unearth the next Joel Perot, right? But that's the target, not a data-led one where you look at players, what they're doing and you know what facts and stats you can pull out from them. Because if they're already doing it, then you know that's not polishing, that's just buying someone ready-made, you know? Yeah, I think... I don't have a problem with using data to, you know, help form an opinion and stuff like that. But as usual, it's just from my point of view, we've got to consider everything. I think I've said it on this podcast before, whereas like the data isn't going to tell you if a player is a dickhead and, and will bring yeah. you know, issues to the dressing room, for example. So we've got to bear everything in mind. You know what I mean, we talk about something like XG and, and people will swear by that. And again, that's something that, you know, you can use to inform, but... I mean, it's all things are open to manipulation, aren't they? Like I'm saying, with, with XG, you'd get a case of if a penalty gets saved and the rebound comes out and the guy has a shot from it, you're going to get one point something of an XG. Whereas in reality, you'd only get you'd only score one, one goal. goal from it. So it's well, yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's a simple sort of Jerry. It's got an assist the way yeah. at Leicester, and you think, well, that's a, that's a great assist. You know, he's, he got an assist against them. Yeah, he blocked a shot. You know, but the facts will say it came off him last before Joe Allen tucked it in. Yeah, exactly. It's, you know, these things can be manipulated. You've got to, I'd always say, if you're going to sign somebody, you've got to watch them in person, haven't you? Because that will tell you far more. In the same way, it's like, if you're, you know, you can watch a game on TV as much as you want, right? But I can tell you that that nothing is a substitute for being there. It's great to, don't get me wrong, you get better angles on a lot of things. You get replays, right? But you're only, the TV's only focusing on the ball, really, isn't it? It's not focusing on other stuff. I remember a couple of times, where I've been, um, like, we go and watch Wales or something like that. I remember one game in particular, I think we had Slovakia away, and um, I remember thinking that Dan James had had a, a poor game and wasn't doing enough, and then the people who were at home and watching on TV didn't agree with me, but I think I was trying to say was that quite often when we'd have the ball, we'd be looking for him to make a run or, or stretch the team, and he, he wasn't really, like, doing it. But some something like that, you can't pick up on as much. Well, the, if, if not the camera's there, not you? on him because he's not doing anything, people don't no. see that it's because he's not doing anything and only, only the camera will focus yeah. on, as you say, the actual well, say a, a scout in general will go to a game, won't they? And they're not really watching the game. They're just watching a certain player or two that they might have their um, their eye on. They're watching yeah. what they might be doing when they don't have the ball or when they're not involved um, or anything like that, really. So, um, 
yeah, yeah. it's you know I always think that you've got you you need to look at people and see what they're you know see what they're like in person. You, there's nothing wrong with using all the tools at your disposal to make a decision. That's what they're there for. But you can't just go on like oh yeah, the data tells me this guy is good. You've got to go and have a look, surely. Absolutely agree with you. Absolutely agree with you. And the XG comparison is a good one because that's another thing that is heavily relied upon about by, by some in, in football circles. And you just think, well, that's that tells part of the picture. And you can certainly use it to support an, a, an argument, but it can't be the foundation and the and the bedrock of it. It needs to just be part of a bigger picture. And and that in the same way, uh, it, I agree, is, is when it comes to signing players using data, it can help support and it can help create a picture, but it can't be the all you've got to work on. Um, so we we pretty much um, put the world to rights on Swansea's transfer business, Steve. Um, now, the big question about why we had to beat Plymouth or why we thought we should have to beat Plymouth was because the fixtures coming up um, were less than kind. Um, I'm going to start this off with a positive and say, yeah, well, no, there's no denying the fixtures are tough looking ahead, but the performances we can, we can particularly the performance against Plymouth, um, I can see us picking up a result in the next three or four, um, maybe more than one, in, and that will give everyone in the fans' base uh, a massive boost. Uh, first up, though, it's um, it's Holloway. Um, they seem a, to be a club hell-bent on forming uh, search the playoffs, don't they, really? Because they've, they've invested heavily and... Um, they, well, ultimately, they need to get in with a shout of promotion in the next 18 months because they'll be running close to FFP themselves. Yeah, it's a funny one because I think Liam Rossini as a good manager is doing a good job there. I wouldn't say there's been a huge amount of pressure on him, but now they've they've backed him quite a lot and it does feel now as if he probably needs to get them into the playoffs or you know potentially his job could, could be under threat, which would seem harsh. But, I mean, that sometimes is the price of if you... You get proper back in the, you know, the the owner is expecting a return on it. So um, yeah, so there's, there's a different type of pressure there, I think, on Hull now. But they've done some really good business, and they so so Rory, the winger from Burnley, came in last week. Um, Carvalho, obviously, which mm. is a really good signing, did well at Fulham previously in this division a few years ago. So yeah, I'm I'm quite surprised by Hull's approach. Obviously, Philogene is there; was a good player as well. Played against us early <coughs> in the season, so. This is a tough game, I, I think. Uh, if we if we get anything there, it'd be a good result. I do agree with you that um, I think we might spring a surprise in the next like run of games, but um, I'm not sure it's going to be Saturday, if I'm honest. No. I think it's a particularly tough one. No, they, they, as, as you say, they, they're in a, a decent run of form, um, but also they've, they've added to it as well. They've added to the quality. Um, we discussed this when we started recording that the... I think we discussed this right at the top of the season as well, where we said there seems to be everyone, ourselves included, that have thrown money at getting promoted this year. Um, and last year was an absolute gimme of a league. It was just, anyone could have taken it last season. We were talking about Coventry Luton being the bloody playoff final, you know. Um, we almost sneaked in and we had three wins in 23. You know, it, it, it ridiculous that no one seemed to want it last season and now almost too many people want it. Yeah, exactly. Um, strange, really, isn't it? I mean, you know, last year, as you say, what was a weaker division? I mean, to have a Luton-Coventry playoff final was was a surprise, but, you know, quite refreshing, really. But 
I mean, we, we only finished three points off the playoffs and we discussed last January earlier, obviously, and big missed opportunity. Um, nobody to blame but the owners, from my point of view. Um, they were silly and they paid a price for it. And unfortunately, they changed tack and yeah, now wasted a fortune. But I mean, we've spent a lot of money and not got better. And I mean, this was really not a year to, to go for it, really, was it? Because you could tell it was going to be really difficult. And, and so it's been proven. But as you say, a lot of other clubs have... It feels like I've spent a few quid as well. And um, yeah, but I mean, that top four have, have got away really, haven't they? So yeah, um, a, a bit of a strange run. I mean, from Hull there, I mean, why didn't Hull invest a bit more? Um, last year could have been a, a good year to do it. I, mean, I know they, they didn't start great, for example. So maybe that was part of it. But um, yeah, you'd even think next season, though, wouldn't you? I mean, it does look yeah. as if the, the bottom three in the Prem are going to be the three that came down oh sorry went up last year yeah and and, and, and the three they're not going to be as strong are they as, they're not going to be as strong as like no. the ones that are at the top now I mean either Leeds or Southampton are going to miss out on promotion aren't they or oh, sorry at least automatic promotion yeah Um, you know and obviously one of they may well not win the playoffs either so but I mean if you supported one of those two teams I mean as disappointed as you'd be I'd be looking at next season then thinking, looking at who's coming down and being like, oh, we'll get top two next year. And that's what I think would happen. So, you know, I do think it'll be uh, not as strong a, a division next year. It'll still be difficult for whoever it is, but you've got to think that if the chances of somebody pushing into that top six will be a little bit easier than than what we've got this year, because it does feel as if, you know, we've got one team that, have, that are walking it who I'm expecting to break records unless they tail off at the end once the inevitable has happened mm. but also then you've got three teams that are, have got really high points totals and um, you know I, I don't think you're going to see that next year but um, yeah as you've talked about Hull and then we've, we've got two of those teams coming up after that then and we lead to Nipswich so it's going to yeah. next week is going to be a tough week isn't it but um, yeah look the way we've got to look at it is once we've got these games out of the way it should get easier yeah it should um weirdly Leeds would be one I would think well we have a decent record against them we always turn up the atmosphere is always great Leeds will obviously pack out whatever tickets we give them because they travel in great numbers and um, it would be you'd imagine to be an exciting game you know they have got a lot of uh, former Swans players and Welsh players and so between them both they may as well be Welsh themselves now um, but just they keep winning games Steve I mean it's going to be really tough ass but I fancy that one I mean Ipswich do people expect that they can they could have kept this up all season they had a fantastic first half of the season absolutely shocked everyone blew everyone away um, and slowly now the results are just just drip dropping a little bit and not quite picking up the points per game that they were earlier on and potentially they will um, may may just uh, fall into the middle of the playoffs uh, where they are now and, and not really um, trouble the top two from there. Um, again, another one at home. Um, I would target those two. Of the three coming up next week, I would say those two home ones potentially uh, is an opportunity for points, but still have to be absolutely at our best. Yeah, I mean, I I do think we've we've got a chance in those two home games. Um, like I said, Leeds, I I think there'll be a decent crowd for it. I think they'll be up for it. 
And obviously, the, what's always good about playing Leeds is you know that they'll bring a big following and they'll be up for it. So they, we've tended to have good games at them, haven't we? I know we last time we played them at home was behind closed doors. We did lose. But in general, we're pretty good against them. We, we always think of that glorious 3-2 game in League One where the place was on fire, really. And we we did manage to outclass them with 10 men. And then the year we went up, we beat them 3-0. But even then, the year we came down, or sorry, the year after we came down, we'd had this young team at the start of the season. And, you know, we were unlucky not to beat them then. We ended up drawing, didn't we? But I think that was at a time where, you know, we were starting to maybe get a bit of love back for the team again after, you know, not liking a lot of the players, should we say, when we got relegated and these youngsters have come in and, you know, gave us that bit of a boost again. So, um, yeah, we, we tend to go well against Leeds at home. So I think we've got a chance in that game. Leeds, his home record is is marvellous, but away, they have had a few defeats. So, you know, um, it's look, it's going to be a difficult game. And I do think we can at least give them a game. We'll have to see how it goes. They are the favourites, obviously, but... You know, um, we'll see. When Ipswich, I think, have only had one win in the last eight, which is quite surprising. But they have faced Leicester twice and they faced Leeds in that time. So mm. it might be, obviously, that that's probably got something to do with it, isn't it? But, I mean, they lost to Preston the other day, 3-2. They were 3-0 down. Um, Kiefer Moore came on and scored twice. Doesn't bode well, exactly. I could see him bullying us, if I'm honest. But, um, I mean, the fact is, it's probably... A, the best time to play Ipswich all season, really, isn't it? Given that, yeah, you know, they did start incredibly well. Um, you know, they've they're a bit unlucky that there's a lot of other teams with them. I think in a lot of other seasons, they'd have a nice little gap there, even after this wobble that they've they've been on, really. So, um, yeah, but look, we've got a chance, I think, in in those two games. I think you know we've you know we'll we'll see how we go. The the fact is, after the way we played against Plymouth, we've got to be a little bit more optimistic about what's going on and, and even if these results go badly I mean we're talking here we would have played all of the top four twice I bet there's hardly anybody in this division that can say that at the end of you know when we're getting towards mid-February really so um, you know that's how we've we've got to look at it isn't it so yeah let's let's not be too downhearted here not, let's not write games off either because I mean the year that we went down from the Prem you know we were all really miserable and I remember Carvalhal coming in and we had a really hard fixture list coming up. And we were just thinking, oh my God, yeah, we're going to get tortured. You know, we're going to struggle to get much past 20 points. And then we've ended up turning over Liverpool somehow. And then the week after we turned over Arsenal. Now, I'm not saying we're going to get six points here, but that does just show you that in football, sometimes you don't know, like things can can change. Yeah. And, um, you know, you can sometimes just just get a result from somewhere. Maybe if you're, you're not expecting it or anything like that. And um yeah, look, we keep the faith. I think that's the the underlying message here. We, if we create as many chances against either of those two teams, then surely we're going to take a couple. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'd hope so, wouldn't you? Can't keep missing those guilt edge chances. Um, I'm going to say uh, two to three points in these coming three games. What do you think? Um. I'm going to say three. I think we might win one and like the other two. So, which I, to be honest, I'll take that. That's, you know, to get a win would be a big deal. Give us a bit of a lift in it. Hopefully it'll be at home. I think that's, that's the other thing. We haven't had much joy at home this season. I think when we look back on this season, you've got to say that there've not been many particular highlights of that. So, you know, I think the best win we've had would have to be against West Brom because a lot of the other sides have beaten the beating in the bottom half. So I think to, to beat someone good, particularly at home, give everyone that little bit of a lift would be great. And look, if we could beat Leeds, 
I think the season ticket renewal before it goes up in prices on the Friday. So I think it'd be a good time to to maybe get a win there, get a bit of enthusiasm, and then you never know, one or two extra people might decide to to take the plunge and and renew. So um, yeah, that would be a, a good game to win, I think. Well, the thing is as well, I drew comparisons um, when Luke Williams was appointed to um, when Roberto Martinez got the job and we were looking about transforming the way the team played and, and getting them to play the, a, a, a very specific style. If we can survive this season in the Championship, and you did mention five minutes ago about the Championship probably being weaker next season just for virtue of the teams that are going to go up and be replaced by the teams that are coming down, um, then you could have what Martinez benefited from was a lovely run up to the summer he got to see everyone firsthand work with everyone firsthand and then have a clear vision of what needed to happen albeit we had a lot more trustworthy owners and structure system at the time um but it could be a blessing if we can we got to make sure we survive and again uh, you mentioned the Leeds game and, it, and even the Ipswich game after potential to just ease that pressure and if we can get a little bit of momentum and finish the season strongly, because the, the fixtures do ease, Steve, um, right at the end. You know, when you're talking about April time, those are, we've got winnable games around teams around by us then. Um, so those that will be the time where we could really just push ourselves to safety. And it could make all the difference coming into next season or even coming into the transfer business. If you can convince the powers that be they're actually we're on a good stead, then trusting and investing in the right way in the club because it, it does need that again, doesn't it? Because the, the squad is bloated, but not with the right personnel. Yeah, I think the, the only fear I've really got at the moment is, um, you know, if if the next few games do go as, you know, what, what you would expect and there's, there's defeats so there's, there's certainly no wins, then if the heads do drop, then obviously you could have a problem. But, I mean, as you say, the fixture list does ease. But again, you could be in a situation if you're on a bad run, there's, there would potentially be six pointers in there and you would have to get results in them. But um, look, I, I think we're a long way off, you know, worrying particularly much. I, I certainly think that, you know, we'll get this this next month or so out of the way. Then we've got some better games then in March. Also, we've got a South Wales derby, which we certainly need to, to do better in than what we did in September because that was a shocker. Um, and I think at, when we get to after that game, I think there'll be about eight games left. We we'll still have to play all the bottom four. Yeah. Um, so I think that's when really we'll be in a situation to maybe assess what's going on, really. But um, yeah, you'd like to think that you know we can, you know, by that point get to a stage where we don't need a huge amount of points to to guarantee um, safety. And then yeah, you'd like to think with an easier run of fixtures on paper that um, you know we'd have it'd be a decent chance for the manager to build some momentum towards next season. So, um, is yeah, that that, be, I think that's how we're going to look at it. Is that, I was going to ask you for your positive sign-off, um, but is that it, or have you got something else in mind? No, it, it has to be that. I mean, literally, when after that Sunderland game on the 24th of February, we have played the top eight twice. Now, that is nuts, isn't it? Yeah. And I think we've got, so we've got to play five of the bottom eight at home. Now, our home record is not great, but we've got to play five of them at home. Now, Literally, if you were, if with about twelve games to go or whatever it is, you were going to hand pick more or less fixtures or whatever. Yeah, yeah. 
it would be very close to that, wouldn't it? But to not play anywhere, I know that top eight can change slightly. Maybe it will, right? But in general, it's going to be all of the top six, I would have thought, and then probably eight of the top ten or something. So yeah. that's the situation that we're in. And you, you even think then, right? And then Cardiff are the top half. We'd have played them by the end of March, you know, and, and, and stuff like that. So, yeah, look, we've got to... That, that's how we've got to look at it. There's no point losing your mind at this stage. I mean, you swear with some people that, um, you know, five points outside the bottom three and we're going down. And you think, please, people, chill out. Like, it certainly isn't the time to to lose our edge here. I mean, it's a, if we'd lost 1-0 the weekend and played a poll in there, I'd be considerably more worried, but that's not the case. So, yeah, look, there's, we do not need to panic. Frustration and hurt, as as always, when things are not going great. But um, we, we don't need to panic. I think the players need our support at the moment. They've, they'll, they'll be a bit low on confidence, but I've seen positive signs and the manager needs some back and he's inherited a mess. And, um, yeah, let's, let's give our back and then, Let's just see how things play out for now. But like you said, I do think we're capable of getting, you know, pulling a bit of a rabbit out of the hat. And I mean, we haven't talked about Sunday, the week, which is the week after the Ipswich game, because mm-hmm. sure we'll reconvene and do a pod in that time. But I do think we may well win one of the, the next four games. And, and that's how I'm going to look at it. I'm, I might be completely wrong. And if I am, then obviously it's not great and the, the pressure will build a little bit. But we still have to remember that in terms of the way the fixture list has panned out, we will be in a better position after that in terms of what's to come, at least. So there's my uh, positives for you. There we go. Keep the faith. And like I said, even if the next couple of fixtures do go badly, um, the end of the season gives us, as Steve said there, what a opportunity. The fate will certainly be in our hands to decide our own destiny there. So... Um, but again, it's very early to say that and um, we might well find ourselves, as me and Steve predicted, picking up a couple of shock results in the next couple of weeks and then everyone can breathe a bit of a sigh of relief and <laughs> and get on with our lives. Uh, thanks so much for listening to this podcast and uh, it's been a bit of a lengthy one, so if you're still with us, thank you for that. We will be back next week to preview. Well, I was going to say, I'm not sure we will, will we? Because if you think that Leeds game is on the Tuesday... Oh, no, not next week. Sorry, we just talked about that. I was going to say, week, I think week more likely next, the week after, sorry, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, the week after. Yeah, yeah. Everyone, listeners knew what I meant. I was, I was just muddling my words up. <laughs> the week after next, after these three games pass, and we can um, then uh, talk about the, what we've seen and what we're about to see and how we think things are going to go ahead for the Swans. Uh, but for myself and Steve, thank you so much for listening. Bye-bye.